For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. This is Bill Winans with AngryDogStudios.com. You're listening to The Geek Show. Coming to you live from our submersible battleship at the bottom of the Indian Ocean, surrounded by giant crab-like automatons, it's the Geek Show! Hello, everybody! Hello! That reminded me of the G.I. Joe film, which was literally, they started off small in that film. Like, I have a gun, I have a bigger gun, and upgraded to, I have an underwater base, I have a bigger underwater evil base! And it (laughs) continued like this. I'm sure that the second one is just going to escalate from there. I'm not sure how. I'll let you point out, I didn't see G.I. Joe, so, you know, that, that was my own Nobody thing. beats G.I. Joe. Please. The action force. Please, no one copyright sue me. Uh, but, yeah, we are here tonight. That was the line they used on the, all the adverts when they were selling the toys. But please, no Nobody copy- beats G.I. Joe. The action force. No, I'm showing my edge. God, I'm embarrassed. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you can smell the old. Smell it. <laughs> oh, God. As you can tell, today yeah. we are joined by myself, Harry. Uh, we have Becca. Yes. And uh, we have Rob One. Yes, I'm here. Awesome. Uh, we would like to have Momo, but she moved, and now Momo up north is now Momo down south. Yes. Yep, Momo now lives in Stafford, um, in a civilization, not in the middle of nowhere. We're yes. so happy for yes. her. Yes. She has Wi-Fi now and everything. Her, so. next, her next door neighbor isn't like a random sheep. Mm. Yeah. Well, she had next door neighbors, but they were all like... Random six, sheep. No, 60 plus. <laughs> I was going to say. 60 plus sheep owners? Or do they own 60 plus sheep? Or is it their age that you're referring to? Yes. I'm surrounded uh, by the same thing, in fairness. A <laughs> couple of quick hellos to 72 and Jacob Afro Guy. How are you doing, guys? Hi, guys. And oh, to hey, everyone Jacob. else who are listening. Um, Jake, yeah. have, you, have you built some kind of combo, Jake, at this point? Because like, other people, like we get a lot of regulars and they go in and out, but I think Jake's just been in consistently for quite a while now. Yeah, he's yeah. here quite Every a week. <laughs> Usually every week. Well, every week that I'm here. 
Mm. I've been been missing a bit because we went went to Expo last week Mm. and then before that was in the uni Oh, God, yeah. Uh, First off, sorry that we weren't at last week's show, guys. We were stuck getting out of Coventry. Expo was... London's a long way away. Yeah, it was so hot that my car on the way back, um, the power steering stopped working. Literally, I was going around a roundabout. I was like, guys, um... My steering's not working so good. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, we're going to talk about Expo after we do the news, because this is our Expo coverage. We have all sorts of interviews coming up. We'll be talking about Expo, which was the hottest thing we've ever been to. Yeah, so many people passed out in the hall. It was crazy. We were there with a bunch of friends, and we all knew, for starters, because Becca brought her vampire bloody sunblock. Oh, yeah, my 50-plus or something. (laughs) But we had two people who were allergic to sunblock. Oh, gosh, And they were just casualties of war. We could not help them. It, it was a shame. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was that was me last year, and this year I was just like, nope, get in the vampire cream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get the vampire cream and staying indoors. You're like, I am the clever. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. but yes, yeah, so we're talking about that soon. But first, as usual, we're going to go to the news section. Yes, uh, uh, news section. Uh, our we, first story. We don't oh, have we, news. We don't have a fancy jingle because we Phil have no here. Phil this just week. Phil's working constantly. Uh, yes, this is the news jingle now. And so we're in the news section. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy you a banjo for Christmas. <gasps> Please do. Please buy a banjo for Harry for Actually, Christmas. my dad, brief plug it, my dad's actually a very string of instruments teacher and I'm slowly learning the ukulele. So oh. if you want me to bring in the ukulele. Congratulations, Harry. You've been upgraded to Bard. Hang on. I will get you I could totally onto literary bard. loitering. You could totally do Bard. I'll get you on literary loitering. At the same time, we have Sarah Dennison from Middlesbrough Libraries because she is a folk singer who plays the ukulele. Oh, awesome. I'll, I'll make her look even better because I'm really, really... My, my birthday was Friday. I've only just kind of started. It's, I'm not good. <laughs> I'm not good. Yeah, <sighs> 21 now. Ha-ha. Check 21. that out. 21 bro fest. I'm all kinds yeah. of legal. Yeah, yeah officially <laughs> we can... <laughs> Oh, Harry. <laughs> I you meant, put yourself in that one. I meant like I'm not stupidly young anymore. <laughs> However, officially, at the age of 21, we can literally do anything we want now. We are free. Free in this world. Yeah. With, anyway. With <laughs> right. Sorry, yes. Okay, so... Moving on. We're we in the news, news section still. Yes. News 1, apparently, was that but, I had a birthday. News 2. Yeah, yeah. News, news 2. News 1 was that Harry is now legal. <laughs> so, News 2... Being. In all kinds of countries. Now yeah. moving on to News 2. News 2. Sequencing t- the tomato genome may lead to B-movies. Right. Do you remember the movie called Attack of the Killer Tomatoes? From Outer Space. Uh, well, th- some of them were from Outer Space and some of them were just killer tomatoes that were just on. I the- remember seeing the cover for this film and going, really? Yeah. Really? Well, here's the thing. They have finally, uh, they finally sequenced the entire tomato genome. Which means tomatoes can now be genetically modified. Uh, yeah, uh, genetically modified, uh, and you can get designer tomatoes now. <laughs> yeah. Why would you want to make a tomato? Well, okay, actually, no, I know why you'd want to make a tomato very specific, <laughs> because tomatoes for the consumer market have to be perfectly round. Because if they're slightly misshapen and wonky, stores go, nope, don't want them. People aren't going to buy them. Looks yeah, funny. We right. lose so much money every this year in slightly odd-looking food. Yeah, like I, cucumbers this, have to be perfectly straight. Because yes. if they're slightly bent, nope, they get thrown away. This is possibly one of the greatest, uh, one of the greatest lines I've ever seen in any news article ever. Right, this is a quote. Starting off with a quote, but it's the last bit. Pay attention to the last bit. For any characteristic of the tomato, whether it's taste, natural pest resistance or nutritional content, we've captured virtually all those genes, said Cornell University molecular biologist James Giovanni, who led the U.S. arm 
of the global tomato sequencing effort. <laughs> the global oh. tomato sequencing effort. Wow. And he led the US arm of it. Oh, okay. God. okay. B-movies I know, but I want now a B-movie of them discovering it. Not of what they do with it. I just of, want it to be just like... like make it like a big epic movie and at the end they're just like, oh yes, we've done it, it was amazing. Like we've you know saved the world from SARS kind yeah, of. Make it G.I. Joe style. Just <laughs> the level of epicness to kind of go, and here we are at the global tomato for... Oh, we, we've stolen the tomato epic. genome and we're going to mutate them so your salad attacks you. <laughs> the that world rests on you. We waste so much money in food every year. We should year. do this because then no one would ever serve anything with salad ever again. That's great because it just fantastic. makes bins full. Seriously, right, now we people. just need to like think of a way to make lettuce like form into like little teeth shapes and just like nom. Uh, it, like eat your burger. Then if lettuce ate your burger, you'd be really sad and you'd never have salad ever again. We know plenty of creative types. We could totally do this. Patent pending the Geek Show Film Studio yes. is uh, <laughs> yes. the effort for tomato perfection. That's yes. the film <laughs> in progress right now. Yes, and how, if- it, how it turns deadly. <laughs> You heard it here first and last. Anyway, uh, moving three. on. <laughs> news, uh, news number two or three, depending on... Uh, depending on how important <laughs> you think I am to the world. Uh, robot Revolution, <laughs> straight into the Robot Revolution. Oh, right, we're Virtual friend on your shoulder. Right, now, this is from our lovely friends over in, guess which country? Uh, Japan. Japan. Uh, yes, uh, Yamag- uh, researchers at Yamagata University are developing a miniature wearable... Humanoid robot that sits on your shoulder and Can keeps you, you company. Can you get it to subtly insult people and then just look innocent? It's like what? <laughs> like a parrot. Yep. <laughs> See, that was the first thing I thought when I saw this. It, you just there's picture there's pictures of this uh, that you can find on the web. It's just some kid with a backpack with this little robot on oh. his shoulder. Oh, it's kind of adorable. So I want one. I want five. <gasps> there Could... is a problem with this though. Okay. Right? The robot oh. is. Technically, a telepresence device, which means that you could also have your mum sitting on your shoulder. Uh, actually, this could be useful. I mean, there's sometimes <laughs> where we just can't afford for everyone to go to expos. If we have, like, a team of three and then the robot team. Yeah, but what about all those times you want to ignore your phone? Yes. <laughs> uh. I'm, I'm admitting to this, people. I ignore my phone plenty. Oh, God, yeah. What if your phone had a personality? And don't forget. Going, Come on, he's calling again. Right, this I robot. I want to go in sleep mode. This robot <laughs> has a head and arms. Let, let's make this clear. So if you ignore it, and if it's your mum, it hits a within reach of your face so it can slap you. Anyone remembering the howlers from Harry Potter now? Can you um, install a sat-nav in it? Because that would be so useful. Walking around, the robot's just like, turn left. <laughs> it's a wall. And it could point. Robot. Yeah, just like go that it's way. not like take this, the, it's it, not like take the second exit at the roundabout you're not at yet. Um, wait, no, what? In, yeah. in, in Turn <laughs> left of one of the three lefts. But which what? That one pointing. Install yep. the install the Vegeta satnav into it. <laughs> I want the Vegeta satnav. <laughs> it could spend like uh, twelve miles going, and then go turn left, and then go back into <laughs> yeah. powering up for the next. And the charge in mad directions. Yeah. <laughs> Which will be hilarious when you join the motorway and it's 60 miles to your next direction. Yeah. Like, I'm going to murder Vegeta. 72 says an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other one. <laughs> oh, did you make them give you good and bad advice? You have, like, one, the bad, ice friend, bad advice friend in telepresence and the other's, like, your mum. Like go, go on, go out to the club night. No, you have to conserve your money. 
<laughs> anyway. That's a terrible idea. Let's not do that. Yeah. B movie also that idea. The Geek Show Film Studios <laughs> pen pending. <laughs> My robot shoulder devil. Yeah. Uh, this week's news brought to you by Tangent. Dot .tm Yes. Anyway, moving on. More Robot Revolution news. And this is more Cyborg Rats, because we've already done a story on Cyborg Rats. You remember, remember the one with the where they were starting to install chips in their brains? Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I mustn't have been here for this one. Uh, you might have been off, actually, for that one. Yeah. Uh, well, Somewhere this in time, the This time, it's uh, medical researchers in Switzerland who have used a combination of spinal cord stimulation and robot-aided therapy to get paralyzed rats to learn to walk again. And what they do, they inject like the spine with uh, a special solution of vitamins and minerals and everything that's good for spinal columns in rats, and then stimulate it with an electrical current and put the, put the rat in like a cradle, put it up on two legs, and walk. And when you see the video to this, there's something weird about it. And the weird thing isn't the fact that it's a rat that's learning to walk using a cradle and robots and all sorts of whatnot. It's the fact that they're trying to teach the rat to walk on two legs. It's a four-legged animal. Huh. Something seems to bypass these Swiss researchers. Yeah, that's, that's one of the early <laughs> stages of things you should research. Uh, Does it walk on four legs or two? <laughs> it sounds kind of cute, though. I mean, the fact that you're saying robot therapy, for starters, making rats walking in. Just imagine, like, a, a rat in a wheelchair. And then this ro- robot therapy, does that mean that it's not robot massaging? Or just a robot with a big, cute face? Oh, I, I just like, had images like Asimo of... giving a pep talk. Come on, you can do it, Rizzo. You can do it. <laughs> oh, I just had images of the researchers just like holding the rats with their like legs gently touching the floor, and then just like shuffling them forwards. I can't Every do it day faster. I'm shuffling. Oh, God. Uh, it's, it's like training wheels on bikes slower again. Don't let go. I can't do it. You can do it, Riz. You can do it. <laughs> Patent pending. Pixar, if you want to buy that one. Uh, I think you could probably do quite well. Ratatouille Part 2. <laughs> oh, no. It's like a gritty reboot. Oh. Too grim. Ratatouille's okay. meant to be fun. Yeah, Ratatouille was nice. Let's, let's just move on from this. Okay, moving on. Uh, Project Overkill. A couple of these today. Uh, laser guided bullets equals no more cover shooters. Hooray! Laser guided. What? Laser guided bullets. On the gun or on the bullet? On the, the bullet. bullet. On the bullet. The bullet, yep. right. Um, let's see if I can find out who, uh, who made this. Uh, it's by Sandia National Laboratories in the US, and they have made a bullet that acts like a mini missile. And it, it right, One, uh, probably the biggest size rifle you can find in the world is called a 50, is a 50 caliber mm-hmm. rifle. And this is a 50 caliber bullet guided by lasers. It's 98% accurate, up to two kilometers, and it can fly around corners. Good lord. So sniper rifles. Yes, that can fly around corners. Yep. This means that if a sniper, just a regular good sniper, is aiming someone's head, there's a zero chance of missing, really. Well, like two. Yeah. If they're within two kilometers, yeah. Well, it's almost zero. Good lord. Wow. Yeah. So does it like, move the bullet mid-air? And they're going to make got this. fins for... that, uh, that help it steer. Oh, fins. Wow. Oh, and they're going to make this for airsoft, and then we're going to be sad, because all of those guys who sit in a bush with a box mag... Actually, this will be terrible for airsoft because airsoft bullets are tiny. They're like tiny peas, but BBs. smaller. Yep. Now they'll have to be 50 now, caliber to air, contain air, the laser sights. <laughs> that, that, that is probably the most accurate description of airsoft. It's pea shooters on steroids. Mm. It's good fun, though. <laughs> Except now if they're 50 caliber BBs, that's just going to hurt. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, if they could fly around corners, people would go for that anyway. Oh, Which is why there will be no more cover shooters in the future. And I am happy happy about this because I'm sick of Gears of War. 
Uh, in the future, everyone is like that. sick of Gears of War. And others like that. I like Gears of War. Yeah, we're I will, at I you will modern duck warfare. down before, uh, behind this rock and I will hide here forever it's until like they the, run out um, of ammo. The awkward zombie comic. <gasps> Did you see the Kickstarter, by the way, for oh, awkward, awkward Zombie, zombie book? Yeah. yeah. Loads of comics now are doing Kickstarters. Like, all the ones I know. But all of awkward the stuff. Zombie's doing really well. Yeah, Awkward Zombie's doing really well. But all of the stuff that they're giving away with the books, if you, like, get a book and you donate so much, it's gone really cool now. You get stickers, an embroidered patch, um, signed art, like A5 uh, A5 prints. I might have to do that, actually. Actually, I need to... People keep recommending Awkward Zombie to me. If you're in my position, you might want to now purchase a book of Awkward Zombie via Kickstarter, read it all in one go, and go, I have an awesome patch now. You get the first hundred comics. Um, But yeah, anyway, uh, my point was, Awkward Zombie did a comic um, about for Mass Effect, and uh, they're walking along her in the team and she goes stop we're about to go into combat how can you tell and it pans out to the view in front of her chest I cover <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah totally happens in Mass Effect as well yep yeah, it so does. much you're like this room looks suspiciously large and there's turned over tables and yep there's a Krogan with a shotgun I'm gonna die <laughs> speaking of Mass Effect we have one of the voice actors interviewed later in the show yes keep, keep your ears peeled or anyway. at least open. Don't peel your ears. That actually sounds really painful. Yes. Um, move on to the news. I have a bad yeah. image in my head. Project Overkill number two. Spyrox. Is it Spyro? What is it like a rock? Rock? Spy so rock? Spy camera in it. Uh, not just a spy camera. There's all sorts of them. The U.S. military is supposed to be pulling out of Afghanistan in 2014. Right. Now, before they leave, what they are doing is littering the countryside, the desert, the mountains with rocks. Specially made rocks that are filled with all sorts of sensors that can help them keep track of population movements, little spy cameras, the works. Wow. And you really can't tell that they're not rocks. You can walk by one and you won't even be be able to tell the difference. Hang on. I'll see if I can... That's what they look like, effectively. Wow. Yeah, there's no marks on it. It is just... And the rock texturing is fine. It's... Wow. Yeah, that's yeah, worrying. That, that's a rock. What the hell, USA? Stop being paranoid. You have more guns than anyone else. Apparently, you use them to cover up your dead space, the areas you're concerned about but can't cover, with other intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance assets. I feel worried. Well, they'd, they'd be useful thing. for actual warfare. Yeah. Because, like, um, any space in between the main force and, like, the front line, you could litter with these sensors. Yeah. Hmm. You could um, make them, like, spy grenades as well. Like, if someone's in trenches, you could throw over into the other one. Yeah, and it's a rock. They're going to go, they're throwing rocks. Eh, and walk away and leave it. They're not going to throw it back. And then once they twig it about what they are anyway, you can just throw regular rocks and then it'll induce paranoia. <laughs> this is a game that's patent pending at the Geek Show Gaming Studios. Uh, rock Warfare. <laughs> Future Soldier, Spy Rock Warfare. Speaking of which, there's a game on Steam, Dungeon Defenders. And you know, you can get little pets which follow you around. They've recently introduced the Pet Rock. What? Just, pet yeah, it's a Pet Rock. Does it follow you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so cute. I really want one. But yeah, sorry. Just a quick hello to Emiko Chan, who missed the start. Uh, hi, Emiko Chan. Nice to see you again. Hey, Emmy. And moving on, we have things we want to try. Now, this is the Scamander, and Master Chief, Master Chief would be oh, proud it, of is this. Is that fire? No. This is an amphibious vehicle, uh, an amphibious all-terrain vehicle that looks the business. It's, That's it's so it cool. on water. It's great. This is one of the things where they always make things look different when they're meant to be a special kind of vehicle. It doesn't look dumb, though. It looks very sci-fi, but cool. I know, it has a drop-down steering wheel and a sliding roof that you climb into. 
It looks pretty badass from the photo, to be fair. Mm. And that, that's it on water, not sinking. Yes, exactly. Just, yeah, from I mean, that's the front view. I mean, it's hardly, it's not a speedboat, but you know, it, it works. It's completely functional. You could drive to France, or uh, the, ch- the tunnels kind of put them in. Oh, yeah. You could definitely. drive to Germany. That'll definitely. Work. I mean, uh, or Ireland, because, you know, we do I'd have another just, uh, island in this country. <laughs> I'd love to just have it on my driveway and that people are going to go, ooh, what's that? Because it looks so awesome. It looks totally futuristic. Yeah. Actually, How much does it cost, though? Uh, I don't know. Uh, but it can do. Uh, it does a top speed of 120 miles per hour, oh, 300 horsepower V6 engine, uh, and it can go from 0 to 60 in about eight seconds, which is not bad at all for an amphibious vehicle. Yeah, it's pretty it's good, not bad. Actually. And it's surprisingly maneuverable on water. Heck, I don't think my car makes 0 to 60 in eight seconds. I do, but that's only because I'm, I'm a difficult driver to be with. And because it's an all-terrain vehicle, it can go across desert, water, mountains, rocks, whatever. Oh, this is actually perfect for people in Blighty, just because like, the number of areas you know of that get flooded during our frequent droughts. And when people just go, oh no, now we have to get canoes or something. What the hell do we have that actually swims in the landlocked parts of Britain? It's like, okay, I'll just go into the car. Put all the games consoles in the car. <laughs> All right, go to Fred's house, pick them up. They don't have one of these things. That's, that's, that's a great awesome. idea. It's a, you can just roll up, just like, hey, guys. Not just for travel, but in case of flooding. This thing's great. Yes. Right, moving on to our final story. And Harry found this one. This is the, oh. our WTF award. And this one I have called the Cat Copter. Is it Korea? Is it Korea? No, it's, oh, it's, not du- Korea it's Dutch artist Bart Jansen, who has... He had a cat called Orville. Uh-huh. Orville died. Orville died in a car accident. Okay. Jansen wanted to honor his dead cat, so he did the next. He did what he thought was best to honor him. He had him stuffed. Then he attached four propellers to each of his po- a propeller to each of his paws and turned him into a helicopter that can fly by remote control. He's outstretched like a fighting <laughs> squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face, Becky, you just kind of, what? He's called, what? He's called it the Orville Copter. Yes. There's, there's video of it on YouTube and everything, but yeah. he flies at a, there's a yes. Amsterdam <laughs> arts show, a festival, where he had him... He, he I'm just, sorry, but there's going to be kids out in the street, and he's just going to be like, da 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 The worst part is, it's derpy as hell when it flies. It, yeah, can't, it can't actually fly properly. Can't fly. It kind of gets off the ground and then veers, and then, and then like a space along. shuttle with a limp, it just kind of goes forward, and then it crashes, and it gets up, and it hovers around. It's, it derp hovers, basically. It derps. It, but the thing is, because it's got some minor stability issues, yes. quote, uh, for Orville's birthday, he'll, he'll be fixing it up and improving things. Such with as, a more powerful engine with a more powerful and larger engine. propellers <laughs> so, to turn it into steady flight. I mean, it's on show right now at the Kunstreit Art Festival in Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, we don't know what else to say about this, but WTF. Yeah. <laughs> I love this line, though. This is a quote from Mr. Janssen. After a period of mourning, he received his propellers posthumously. <laughs> post mortemly, post mortemly. Only the dust. Shall we move on to a song? I'm glad he clarified there was a period of mourning first. He wasn't like, oh, oh yes. you know what you look like right now. <laughs> he looks like a propeller. Yes, exactly. Glad he wasn't like a mad Dutch inventor. <laughs> See, would you like your pet to be made into a into an airborne vehicle? You know Let what? us know via hashtag the Geek Show and in the stream chat box on the website. <laughs> yes. Actually, yeah. If you could think of like, something really quite funny. 
that to be turned into a, a helicopter. A, an animal copter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a rhino tank would be pretty useful. No, a rhino copter would be hilarious. A rhino copter would be <laughs> hilarious. Oh, a rhino copter, you just drop them on people. <laughs> Disengage. <laughs> it would be like, oh, what was that Power Ranger Zord from Mighty Morphin? The turtle one they rarely used because its purpose was to go. Megazord stands on top of turtle. Turtle lands on foe. Foe is dead. <laughs> foe is very dead. It would be like that. I can't remember what it was. It was, was it basically the mag- magic Megazord win button? Shark copter. Shark copter. <gasps> oh, oh, this needs to be done. Shark week 2013. <laughs> that would be amazing because we have a friend who, you know, Matty, Morty's Matty. Oh, God. Anyone who knows, like, who's listened to the show where Morty's been on, her uh, fiance has a mortal fear of sharks. We should make a flying shark. Oh, it'll be like the Doctor Who Christmas special, but really, really trippy yeah. and scary. P.S. Um, Matty has amazing friends, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Matty, we, we do like you. You're yeah. cool. Emma Kachan saying that uh, she thinks all animals should become eventual submarines. Yeah. Yeah, actually, submarines. That's a good idea. I'd be fine to see a bunny with a, you know, visor. Yes. Momo, buy a visor. <laughs> well, just go snorkeling, Momo, quick. Jacob go. Afro guy thinks that the theme of this show is Transformers Beast Wars. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we, we are getting distracted. We've got a lot of interviews to get through. MCM was busy. Yes. So. We'll be back with the MCM Expo special for 2012. Are you going to do the marketing stuff in the absence of Phil? Uh, yeah, sure thing. If you want to talk to us about the section so far and question us on who's coming, even though I said it over Twitter, you can let us know via tweeting at hashtag the Geek Show, where you can also follow us on Twitter at TGS underscore the Geek Show, and via the Geekshow.co.uk you can talk to us live in the chat box. We will read out stuff that is cool and not Rudy. Hello, this is Brina Palencia and you're listening to The Geek Show on one oh four point five CBFM. Our submersible battle base will take off in five, but before that we have a section where we talk about being an MCM. Yes. Uh, because this year, unlike previous years, we had like some friends of ours who needed like assistance. From one of them was like, our friend Robin French, yep. who's Robin F on DeviantArt, as well as Maze Pony, where she keeps all the pain and stuff because she drew so many ponies that she started going, "My DeviantArt is cluttered. <laughs> I need to move them elsewhere. Make it stop." Uh, she's also the author of the Sir Perry Gold webcomic, which is really, really funny. Uh, and so we spent a lot of time out behind her stall, just chatting, and basically whenever we were about to crash and fall down. Uh, we went to Robin, who very kindly let us use the space behind and bring snacks and stuff. So, yeah, uh, we can give you a bit of an insight into what's it like being behind a table at MCM. Yeah, we can indeed, because um, me and Robin were mostly behind the stall, uh, while Harry ran around with Momo, yeah. grabbing interviews and going, you, you look important, where's your important people, tell mm. me. Occasionally coming back with, like, sandwiches or something. And I can safely say it looks like it's exhausting, is the word. Yeah, because what happens is, there's Friday, mm-hmm. and you sit down, and everything's really quiet, because they only let people in in the afternoon on Friday, and people have to pay quite a bit extra to get the early pass. Yeah, Friday's very much a set-up day. Yeah. It's where people set up, and then they realise if anything's wrong, because there's a very smaller number of people are coming in. Yeah, and I mean, c- mo- some of the dealers don't even turn up on the Friday. Hmm. Oh, yeah. So- Sonny Young didn't make it in until Sunday, but she was double booked this year. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. Sweat drop with her, the rest yeah, of them, but, but you know, she Leong wasn't in at the time. Yeah, fair enough. Um... So, yeah, and then the Friday, and then you get in early on the Saturday morning, uh, about- Eight o'clock, because the whole hall opens at nine, mm-hmm. and you sit down, and then literally the queue just empties into the hall, and l- it goes from like naught to three thousand people in fifteen minutes, mm. and it's manic and it's hot and it's crazy. So damn quickly. I mean, the thing about this year as well, they reached capacity. There were points where people on the doors yeah. were having to stop people coming in until more people had gotten out. 
Uh, because it, uh, fire regulations. So, yeah, because mm. there was the maximum number of people they could have in the hall for evacuation purposes. Yeah, the two main reasons were the expo, for starters, the, it's just... It's just getting bigger every time, oh, and yeah. it's just gotten to a saturation point of being popular that there's too many people. Yeah. And uh, as we knew from when we got our press passes, they've changed the system, and it's a really super efficient system. It's so efficient, it gets people out of the queue quickly, which turns out to be a massive deficit yeah. when you yeah. have limited size of the actual place. Because it got people really efficiently out of the queue, and like I say, in 15 minutes, there were like 3,000 people in that hall. And it was mad. So warning to other people, you can be too organized. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the temperature in the hall rose to like, I think it was like 40 oh, yeah. degrees it, or something dumb. It was there. the height of summer. It was so hot. Oh, yeah. And because it was so hot, the um, aircon system they've got, which pumps hot air <laughs> from the used halls to the non-used halls on the other side and pumps their cold air through, broke. Oh, God damn. Yep. Which is why we had so many pass-outs and stuff, and the hall was just so hot. That explains it. And yeah. I have to be really thankful to the people in the press office who... Oh, gosh, yeah, who had the only working aircon. There was only three of them in there, and the aircon was fine. So, like, going in between the expo to get sandwiches and stuff, to going, can I sit here for a minute? Yeah, sure. Ah, oh, yeah. relaxation. My bones are melting. This is amazing. Because as you'll tell in the interview with uh, Emily Chan, uh, Stupid Fox from uh, DeviantArt, I was tired. I was hot and tired and had a cold and was really oh, hot. Oh, gosh, yeah. You got, like, con SARS. Yeah, I got Flutter Guy voice for any bronies out there. I, I got proper Flutter Guy. Proper, my... yeah. But, yeah, um, as Flutter well, Guy. It's an episode Don't ask, of it's fine. Anyone who knows will know. But, yeah, working behind a stall at Expo is actually fun because you do actually get to meet some pretty cool people. Mm. But um, be prepared for it to be manic because mm. people will come... Like in waves, you'll get like five minutes of nothing, and then literally ten people will swarm your stall, and oh. it will be like that all day from nine till seven, I think, when they close the hall. Tell you what, we'll come back to that in a bit because I do want to question you guys a bit more on uh, what it, what it's like to be behind an expo stall a bit later on. Um, Comic Village. Tell me a little bit about the Comic Village. Oh, well, the Comic Village is separate from the dealer's area. Basically, we have the dealer's area, which is not drugs. It is, like, <laughs> things that aren't comics, basically. It's people who aren't just artists or aren't just not artists. So there's, well, the like, Genki Gear are there with yeah. their T-shirts. and uh, Insert coin with their amazingly subtle geek T-shirts. Mm -hmm. uh, Cyber Candy are usually there. And... and they didn't have their Reese's Cups the size of my face this year. I was so <laughs> sad. Yeah, take that into account, Cyber Candy. Uh, so basically food sellers and t-shirt sellers and things that aren't art because in the comic village you get a, a, a single table it's much smaller it's very compact but it's kind of communal in that sense it cool. is yeah it is because um, all the artists usually know each other as well because mm. they do the con run yeah, yeah. all the, together so it's kind of communal the tables are smaller and the prices are lower to book a table in the comic village because expo actually the people organising the tables actually want to help new artists. Yeah. And so like, I interview in the interview with Matt Dyson, I think he mentions it, that there is a great feeling of support from the Comic Village, the fact that it's very different to the dealer's zone, the fact that it's laid aside as help these people and stuff. And if you just walk down the aisles, you are surrounded by really different styles and cool people. It is, yeah. It's, it's kind of a crazy, colourful walk. Hmm. But it, it, all, the, all the artists are really friendly as well. They're usually like, really up for a chat and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, every, the, you befriend people so easily after everything. Like, our friend Baggy was there. The guys yep. from the Moon comic were there. They're always lovely chaps to talk to. Yeah, Jeff was there. Destiny was there. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Jeff Banyard, Destiny Blue, Nanny Abim. Helen Trafalkar I just bumped into. 
she couldn't uh, Uber midget. She couldn't book a table in time, so she was just wandering oh, around. She was just like, yeah, just just chilling. She helped me find any of him actually because I couldn't find anyone because there's just so many people in the comic yeah. village. It's so packed. And the thing is, when you get into the hall before the event starts, you think, wow, it's huge. Mm. But then you can't find things on the day just because of the sheer amount of people in the way. Yeah. You just don't know where to go and you can't see things for the crowd. I'm voting to call it the comic forest. Yeah. To make it more of a lost sense. Uh, actually, Helen's directions were great. It was, she's right behind Destiny Blue. And for anyone who saw Destiny's table, yeah. it had a massive archway made out of her artwork. Yeah, which was the Destiny Blue banner, so you so knew was, where Destiny so was. So I was like, oh yeah, that tiny British Chinese girl's behind the archway. Oh, hi Nanny, how are you doing? <laughs> it was pretty Hi cool. Nanny. Her name's Nanny Eben. Nanny Eben. And you called her Nanny. No, I didn't. I called her Nanny Eben. I was going to say. I was searching my mind going, oh no, you have a proper name too. Abandon ship, abandon ship, Nanny Abim. You make her sound like a children's book character, Nanny Abim. <laughs> oh, like Nanny no. McPhee. <laughs> Something like that. No, that's I, terrible. I apologise. Her art's really good. Look her art's up. really, really good. Look Actually, yeah, I need to borrow oh, those comics from you. I didn't bring them. Uh, uh, after, the, after the show. Yeah. After the show. Yeah. There's also like there, there was also various other things going on. There was the fringe stages outside. It's on the stairs this year. And there was like the cosplay competition was going on towards the back. All sorts of things going on. People had booths. There was a booth with someone you know, who I'm too young to know, who... Uh, what was her name? I don't know. Making hand gestures like that isn't going to help. That doesn't help. We, the, we, the, we know a few ladies talk, like this. <laughs> talk show host. Uh, vampiric. Oh, Elvira. Yes. How is yes. that not evocative Elvira? Seriously. Because there are several, uh, several like that. In case you're wondering, Harry's doing hand gestures which we can't really show on the radio. <laughs> well, we can't show them on the radio anyway. Suggestions but... <laughs> of size. Yes. Anyway. Uh, this is just getting worse. I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. Elvira was there along with uh, Elvira's twins. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's one of the things she's most famous for. Yeah, she does true. a lot of... Har- for people who don't know who Elvira is, she styles herself as the Mistress of the Dark. And she does a lot of kind of horror comedy spoof parody type things. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, she's really fun and really nice, though, if anyone gets to talk to her. She's, re- she's, uh, she's really pleasant to talk to. Mm. She's really pleasant. And she's been in kind of the entertainment business for a long time. Uh, Jacob Afro guy is saying, I love Elvira. Elvira is awesome. <laughs> good, good. Yes. Uh, anyway. Ha- we should probably get into the interviews because we've I was got going to say, so yeah, to yeah. there was quite a few to get through. While we're in the Comic Village, uh, actually, it's become a tradition for everyone to meet up at a certain pub from the Comic Village afterwards. And me and Momo tagged along and met some guys, and there were some really cool people. So I interviewed them. So, and this is how you professionally do interview scouting. You go to a pub, you see who's nice when drunk, and then you talk to them later with a microphone. <laughs> when they're sober, <laughs> preferably. They're sober. So here is the interview with Matt Dyson, I believe we have No, first. it's uh, Footloose. Oh, right. And this is Emmy it's and Ali. Emily Brady and Alice Nuttall. Yeah, Emmy and Ali. From uh, Footloose Comics, which is available online. We will mention the exact URL in the interview. Uh, enjoy. They're very chirpy, lovely girls. Uh, this is the Geek Show interview with Emily Brady and Alice Nuttall of Footloose Comics. Hello! Hello! Awesome to meet you. How are you doing? Really we're, well. We're having a fantastic we're weekend. Brilliant. This is our best expo yet. Oh, awesome. Tired yet? It is day three. Uh, very Exhausted. tired. Really very exhausted. tired. Maybe a tiny bit hungover. <laughs> All, always good signs. Yes, yes. It's all in a good way. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Very happy though. Oh, it's definitely. So, uh, what's what's Footloose Comics about? Footloose Comics is a comic about a fictional universe that knows it's fictional. 
So it is a, it is a light-hearted send-up yeah. of of all the stereotypes and cliches of fiction, of movies, of, of whatever of we feel like writing about, really. Yeah. yeah. The rules of stories have replaced the rules of physics, and our main character is inherited primary protagonist syndrome from her mother. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she has to learn how to be a good hero, so her family sends her to learn Kung Chu, which is defending herself by throwing shoes at people. Yeah. Nice. So lots of parody and fun making to be had. Yes, absolutely. Um, and we like to kind of parry, parody the, the high school genre in general. So we've got we've got the big cheerleader types, but they're all magical girls. We've got your stereotypical nerds, but they all have giant mecha to we've pilot. We've got the jocks who are the school of indiscriminate whacking with oversized weaponry. And the very honourable school of kung shu. Yes. <laughs> nice. How, how on earth did you get into all this? How did you get into drawing and footloose? Uh, we've been making stories together since we were children, basically. Yes. And, yeah, we've known each other since pretty much preschool. So, yeah. And um, the idea for Footloose came out of... It's a, basically a fan fiction we wrote, again, about everything we liked. And we just wrote it. We wrote down the it story. Was it was terrible. It was awful. terrible. But <laughs> out it, gave of it came yeah. Footloose. It gave us great ideas. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, what advice would you give to aspiring artists who are trying to get into comics? Just go ahead, do it. Practice, 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 practice. And come to places like this just to see what everyone else does and you know, meet yeah. people, see how they sell things, see how they make, make things. And yeah. yeah, chat to other artists, talk to other artists as much as possible, I would yeah. say, because they always have good advice. There's a lot of stuff I didn't know when I was starting out that I would have loved to have known. And if I'd have talked to more people when we were started drawing and making comics, uh, I think it all would have gone a lot smoother. Yeah. So yeah, come and, come and talk to your comics village friends that's the interesting thing about uh, conventions and even things as big as on an expo is that the comic village it seems very communal everyone kind of hangs out and goes to the bar later on do you is that does happen wherever you go regardless of the size of the con uh, we have had some cons where it's been small, well, smaller and also it depends on what, how people need to travel as well like for example in Birmingham I think everyone was travelling in and out most of the time yeah yeah, um, so if you're, if you're all staying in the same place, it's, it's a lot easier to have a sense of community. We also, um, in just in the last year or so, we've all started talking to each other online a lot more, which, you know, makes, makes it easier to forge those friendships and everything. But um, as a general rule, Comic Village is a really nice place. Everyone looks out for each other. Everyone's really willing to make friends. Yeah. It's, it's great. We haven't had a nasty experience with people here at all. It's been, it's been wonderful. Yeah. It's, everyone's yeah. been really friendly. Fantastic. Uh, so other than your local comic convention, where can people find Footloose and check it out? Oh, online. Footloosecomics.com. Footloose comic. No comic, S. I'm sorry, <laughs> yes. I, I, don't, I always want to put an S on it for some reason. We have two comics, this is why. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah. it's footloosecomic.com. There's, there's two comics online there. Yeah. There's, there's a third comic that I make sometimes, but it's very kind of intermittent. Yeah. <laughs> and completely unrelated to the yeah. world of Footloose. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome, I'll check them out. Thank you very much for Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, have a great expo. Thank you, Hi, my name is Jeep Barnett. This is The Geek Show, and I love games, and you should love games too. So listen to this show, learn about games, learn about geek stuff. It's awesome. This is The Geek Show interview with Matt Dyson. Hello, how's it going? Hello, it's going really well, apart from I'm losing my voice. <laughs> it's really funny, this there's so many people at the convention this weekend that you get to talk to so many really lovely people that by the end of it you can't speak for another week. Well, good to know you're doing well though, but you've 
it's selling out pretty well as well with your book Moon Kyo. Yes, um, there, there are two Moon Kyo books nowadays. Um, there's the one that was launched last October, which is Moon Kyo Cute and Silly Fun, uh, which is the first two storylines. And the brand new one, which is new for this weekend, is Moon Kyo Fun Family and Friends. And uh, that one's been doing really, really well. Uh, the first book sold out yesterday morning. And the second book is going to be selling out, hopefully, at some point in the next half hour, by the looks of it. Which <laughs> is um, crazy. It's absolutely fantastic. Well, I've been doing free sketches for people and stuff in books. Oh, and nice. It's a lot of fun. All right, well, well done you, started. Oh, thank you. Uh, can you tell us a bit about Moon Kyo? Moon Kyo, yes. Um, I have a standard pitch. Uh, basically, Moon Kyo is a fun and silly story. It's about two best friends, one who just happens to be a cow. But they have, they're, they're, they're all awesome. They have lots of silly adventures all over the place. There's a little lion cub that follows them around because Kyo made the mistake of feeding him chocolate when they went out to South Africa. And uh, he's been following them ever since. But there's, there's all sorts of other things. Nice. And your art style is pretty adorable as well. Oh, thank you. How did you get into drawing in the first place? Oh, I've always doodled. I, you know, doodle on the side of my margins at school and doodled on the side of my margins at work uh, when I was being on the phone and stuff. And a couple of years ago, a friend of mine, Unica, um, one of my bestest friends ever, basically nudged me and said, Mark, you, you do really good stuff and you should, you should go and do it as a comic. And uh, we started it both together as a comic and she's moved back to South Africa now, but um, I've been doing it on my own for about two years now. And yeah, it came from there. Nice. Uh, what advice would you give to aspiring artists who try, want to try and make their own style? It's, it's a difficult thing because... A bright man once said that uh, true originality is hiding your sources. <laughs> but that's the thing, if you, if you like things, take things from many places. Uh, it's like a lot of the eyes in mine are inspired by chibi stuff, but a lot of the, the, the bodies and other things are inspired by more western things. And you, you just got to pick what you like and play around with it. The best advice, and it's, it's really difficult because it's advice you hear everywhere, is draw, 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 just keep on doing it. And... If you're having fun, then that will come and show out through your own art. And the more you have fun with your own stuff, the more it develops into your own style. The hardest way to develop your own style is to sit down and say, I'm going to develop my own style now. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't happen. You've just got to draw and it happens on its own. Oh, yeah. Art can never be forced. It's always best when it's very organic. Yeah, forced art just looks forced most of the time. Yeah. There are some fantastic artists out there that can force things for a deadline. I'm not one of them. I prefer to sit down and draw when I'm in a good inspired mood. Otherwise, it's just naff that comes out. But when you are in a good inspired mood, it's fantastic. Good plan, good plan. Uh, what's it like being in the comic village here? I love it in the comic village. It's a really good atmosphere this year. Um, there's lots and lots of fantastic artists. And, uh, yeah, everybody's just really getting along. It's really good. We were all at the pub last night and just happy, smiley, and, and, and talking to everybody. It's really good. Okay, awesome. It used to be a few years ago that the UK comic scene was very, very cliquey. Lots of little cliques where people talk to their best friends and scorned at you if they didn't want to talk to you and it's a lot less like that nowadays there's a lot more really lovely people that have come into it and a lot more people have just turned around and, and started talking to people it's, it's lovely there's some fantastic people um, I have a lot of really good friends here awesome uh, so is some of your stuff available to view online via your website it is indeed um, Moon Kyo the first three full storylines are available um, at moonkyo.com which is mwokeo.com that's also linked to on matthasawebsite.com um, so yeah there's going to be the brand new storyline which is in the new book uh, going to be starting at some point in the next few weeks as well 
and then hopefully uh, we're going to keep up with an update schedule online from there as well. So people have to check you out at matthasawebsite.com and on your own Twitter at, at Kyozen, K-E-O-Z-E-N. Yes, also um, at some point I'll be tweeting them as well, but um, I've been taking pictures of me wearing different hats that people are wearing this weekend, because one thing at conventions, you see lots of people in really, really random hats. So I've taken it upon myself to wear all these and get people to take pictures of me. And I'm going to have a Tumblr, which is, I believe, matinhats.tumblr.com, which is going to have me in a different hat every day for at least the next 60 days, because that's how many I've had in the last day and a half. Yeah, I will be taking more pictures at LFCC in, a few, uh, in July, I think, uh, selling my new and my old book um, uh, and all sorts of other shiny things. I've got greetings cards as well now. Plug, 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 plug. <laughs> Awesome. It's been excellent talking to you, Matt. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, sir. Always a pleasure. So, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Hi, guys, and welcome back to The Geek Show. And apparently we're going into talking about like what it was like to be behind the Stall Expo and the general sort of atmosphere of the dealer's area. Yes. Yeah, so, one, one of the main things I think we've learned through being behind the Stall at this Expo is never think you've packed too much. Yes. Because you sell out... It, like. And people Gosh, don't. Re- yeah. People I'm never s- know what is, is going to sell the most until they're already there and doing it. Yeah, but. like Robin um, was doing custom pony commissions, mm-hmm. and I'm surprised that at the end of the day, when she was just sat in the pub, that like her hand wasn't still just drawing pony commissions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> custom pony commissions. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's a thing that people ask for. Is like people like a pony that's like custom for them, or like in a certain series. Uh, she had some things on display that were like. Ponified versions of the Game of Thrones houses. Game of Thronies. Game of Thronies. Yeah, it was so cute. Uh, oh, and a Lord of the Rings one, which went <gasps> oh, so yeah. quickly. They're Lord of the Bronies. Sold out like crazy. <laughs> uh, no, Fellowship is magic. And so it's this thing that you will sell out of something faster than the others, but the point is you will sell out of something. Mm-hmm. So unless you can properly stack, like so if you near if, a convention, if, stack if it, loads. If, it, if you're doing it that way, it would be Lord of the Brawnies, Fellowship is Magic, then the two Brawnies, then Return of the Brawny. That's fine. Although I would like to point out some <laughs> women do like My Little Pony as well. They're, they're out there. What? We say Brawny all the time, and it's like, there are girls who like it. True. Mm. Sometimes they've liked it for longer. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> Since the 1980s, to be honest. <laughs> uh, the original like series was yeah. awful. My Oh, Oddly, God. I used to watch like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Biker Mice from Mars, and my brother watched The Care Bears and My Little Pony. And God, I hated those shows. They were awful back then. They were so bad. No, that makes you, Becca, yeah. a real person. <laughs> According to uh, Emiko-chan, the girls call themselves brawnies as well. Yeah. I, thought the, I thought the girl term was Pegasus, like Pegasista. I have Although no I thought, ideas. in many cases, they just said, I watched this. Yeah. Yeah. Jacob Afro- I've seen some people discard, regard the word with disdain. Jacob Afro guy says, ponies are more epic than anything, and we are brawnies, brohoof. I refuse to brohoof anybody. There's a brohoof. I don't know if that picked up on the microphone. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, knocking noise. Although, uh, has, does anyone else follow, um, there was a Kickstarter for a brony documentary. Oh, there was. Like the BronyCon documentary. It's going really well. And I'm now, surprised. now, the executive producers of it are, uh, I can never remember his name, the guy who was Discord. Uh, Tara Strong, the voice of Twilight Sparkle, and Lauren Faust. Dear God. They're the executive producers of the Bronicon documentary. And they were saying that 
Uh, we want to get these people on board so that it's done in a way that's incredibly knowledgeable of the series, but also really tasteful, not going like the CSI episode. Ugh, a subculture! Yeah. yeah, just go, oh god, brothers, this is disgusting. How should you do this? Hmm. So yeah, I'm looking forward to we seeing We know it was a brony. How do you know? Because we found a pony at the crime scene. <laughs> so silly. There was, there was glitter and fairy dust. Have you seen the, the, the terrible Horatio Kane jokes that have been floating around Imja recently? Oh, God. Yeah. Is it the, the something something pun sunglasses? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's a fun meme, but yeah, it leads to some horrible jokes. Any case, behind a stall, it's knackering for starters. Also, make sure, if you're going to run a stall, make sure you have a minion. Yeah. At least Num- one. Number one, you need someone to switch out with you at some point. Number two, take everything in with you that you're going to need. You will not be able to get out to buy water or food mm. when you're there. I mean, we got lucky. Because we had press pass, we could go through the press office. Yeah. But if you're just uh, a dealer or an artist, you have to go through the exits. And the exits are yeah. full of people. The entrance is full of people. Yeah, literally, because they put the anywhere. Yowie stall at the entrance again, which meant there was just a massive gum up of people at the entrance. Mm. And when you got in there, you literally had to like join a sardine wall of people and you just went where they went because you couldn't navigate. Mm. So yeah, moving around is very difficult. Always have someone you can switch out with for food and peeing. Yeah. Uh, I have a question. Go when ahead. you say minion, are you talking like a fish in a fishbowl on a robot suit? No, oh, minion was so adorable. One <laughs> of those, preferably if you've got one. Otherwise, a friend because or partner. Because it, it would not. Number one, it wouldn't look out of place at Expo. Nope. Someone <laughs> should all. totally do a minion cosplay. And yeah. number two, someone with a small head. You're talking about like. Well, no, you could like be inside the suit. You're oh. talking about like jams of people. You know, it's a robot suit. It'd be a, a just kind of. Yeah, excuse me, out my way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they shouldn't do Minion, they should do Space Mom. Oh, Space Mom. Minion as Space Mom. Oh, God, I've been talking... Oh, I don't know if I should talk about this. I've been talked into doing a cosplay by a cosplay group friend of mine. Okay. Um, they want to do Rocky Horror. Oh, and they no. needed some- this is going bad places now. They yes. needed- I was intrigued, but now had- I'm not. They had no one with the build for Frankenfurter. Harry in the corset. Apparently, I've, been get, I've agreed into doing that. I think I'm going to go for the nurse outfit because it's less revealing and terrifying. And even Harry, I'm sad. Don't now. go there. Seriously, I'm do sad not as go well. there. Do not go there. It's not good. And whatever you do, avoid heels. But heels can be cool. Also, heels will. They uh, the, the garter. You, no way in hell. No, no, no. If you if you sprain one ankle, you're likely to sprain both. Yeah, there's also me, the problem that you won't make it this. five steps without people going, Oh my god, can I take a photo? No, I need to go and pee and eat. Please get out of my way. <laughs> right. Oh, but yes. this, this might put you off the nurse outfit. Imagine an 18 stone rugby player in a nurse's outfit with heels and fishnets. Now imagine there's 15 of them. Rugby players have the worst ideas. Yes, I know. Ooh. I was one of them. <laughs> And then you got <laughs> fixed. But back to the convention thing, yes. Uh, it's exhausting behind the table, all that stuff. Who are we interviewing next? We should probably go into some kind of segue. Emily Chan. What? Stupid Fox, Emily Chan. Oh, right, sorry, I thought you said Emiko for a oh, second. Oh, Stupid like, Fox. I really need some, like, badges or yeah, um, patches what? of Stupid Fox. Once again, fresh epics are at the convention, although this time uh, there's more of them. Because last expo uh, we went to, there was Human and Vitaly. 
of Romantically Apocalyptic and Human Comics. Uh, but this time, Fresh Havix has expanded and built, and they've become like a comic supergroup, uh, including new members. So joining them was Tom Preston, the guy behind uh, So You Think You're Cartoonist, um, Alex the Pirate, and the Brental Floss comic, as well as Emily Chan, a.k.a. Oh, was it Dark Spectre? Uh, Emily Chan? No, her deviant art name. Uh, I wrote it down. I thought it was Stupid Fox. No, that's the name of her comic. Oh, right. I can't remember. Fi- find it. We will find out. I wrote it down on the list. Or anyone you can tweet in or give us a shout on the chat box. Yeah, we're, we're can... clearly useless. Oh, you can correct. I don't have the computer. Rob has the computer. But I yeah, have the Rob, computer. Rob, Google harder. Emily, Emily Chow is incredibly nice. Uh, she does a comic called Stupid Fox over DeviantArt, which is all about this very stupid, incredibly cute fox and its silly adventures in dumbness. Uh, and the Fresh Epics guys were really... I can see why their manager's doing what he's doing. He's really good at it. Like, to fund everyone coming from America, from Denmark, and coming to England, he like, took pre-orders of a certain comic by Human because she's one of the most popular of the group. Fresh, and, uh, Fresh Epics? Yeah. Was it? That was her DeviantArt name, wasn't it? No, that's the name of the group. All oh, right, because you've just written DeviantArt Fresh Epics. On, on, no, on the <laughs> schedule, Rob, the schedule we wrote earlier. That script that we totally follow, guys. The, the printer exploded. I'm sorry. We have a difficulty today. <laughs> yeah, today we don't actually have a script because, you know, we follow it every week. I have. Like like the word of gospel. Mm, no, I can't find it. Uh, I'll search because DeviantArt, unlike every other website in existence, has a BlackBerry interface. Yeah, I'm okay mentioning the product I'm using if the product is really, P.S., really I also bad. have a BlackBerry and Harry's not kidding. They're so terrible. Don't get one. I'm, I'm currently looking at the Twitter. All right, I'm currently looking at the Twitter on the BlackBerry. I cannot tell time. Yep, because you're using your phone. You can't tell the time on the BlackBerry if you're using it. If you're not on the main home screen, you can't see the clock. Good lord, we should probably not rant about this. But seriously, guys, what, what on earth? And fix it. You do realise that Rim are actually in serious financial difficulty at the moment, and well, the I can BlackBerry see why. Might yeah. be might be disappearing by the end of the year. We may not have a BlackBerry or Playbooks anymore. I'm happy. Yeah. So Seri- seriously, I would, I would care if they did made a good product to go along with their massive reputation. Mm. Anyway, moving on. We have an interview <laughs> swiftly with sorry, Emily yeah. Chan. How uh, did we get from trying to find her name to ranting about blackberries? Because I went, I can search for it on my phone. Oh, yeah, my <laughs> phone is difficult. Fresh Epics are a comic book collective. They're a super group. Uh, they're all from DeviantArt, and they're all now coming to conventions somewhere near you. Uh, so check them out. They're all lovely people they to talk to as well. They are actually lovely people. They are amazing. Genuinely. I have an interview with Tom Preston I'm working on currently, and that'll be in another show in the future. Because he had to get off faster because he was then visiting Scotland. Okay. Yeah, so hit it up. Emily Chan. Go. Uh, this is the Geek Show interview with Emily Chan. Hello. Hi. Uh, you're the author of Stupid Fox. Yes, I am. It's incredibly cute. How did you get into that art style? Uh, actually, Stupid Fox started off as a sketch in high school. Uh, actually, my friend told me that the fox looks retarded, and I said, oh, that's so mean. I think it would be better if you just called him Stupid Fox. So that's how Stupid Fox originated. In 2008, I actually started the comic. And uh, I developed the style uh, around uh, 2009. Right. How did you get involved with Fresh Epics? Uh, David contacted me um, like last year or so. And uh, when I was with Fresh Epics, I didn't actually know I was in Fresh Epics until um, we actually worked on the anthology. Um, I've known the other artists through DeviantArt, but I never knew we were actually a group until we actually did the collaboration. How do, how do you find being in London and uh, the Expo? 
It's great. Um, I think that uh, I got a little more audience. Uh, I met a lot of people uh, who were interested in Super Fox that I, I didn't know that uh, so many people were interested in, in uh, Super Fox. And um, I got to meet a lot of the other artists as well. Okay. Was that a thing of you see the feedback on DeviantArt and go, who, you have no idea who will actually visit in real life as well? Or? I didn't actually expect people to really come, actually. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Next time, I think I will be a little more prepared. For the anthology, did you see any of each other's work, or do you just kind of all make your own thing and then it gets submitted and they see it when it comes out? Uh, we each submitted um, our own three pages, and then uh, it was put together by David, I believe. So we didn't actually get to see uh, each other's work or drafts. Um, uh, we were just given a criteria, and uh, we worked independently on our own to make the anthology. Uh, what advice would you give to young artists who are starting out and trying to keep trying to have their own style rather than just learning and copying other people? Well, you have to really practice a lot. Um, even if you're going to trace, you have to. You can practice through tracing. You can practice through looking at other people's styles, and then that way you develop your own style from what you learn from other people. How would you describe the DeviantArt community? Uh, it's difficult. <laughs> I mean, the feedback is very different. Uh, and it's very unexpected sometimes. Um, but it's a very vast community, so you actually never know what to really expect. Yeah, it's it's pretty much you're you're asking, um, putting something up for the entire internet because DeviantArt is just like so big, right? It's the entire world uh, put, get, who get together and like uh, do a, so many different styles of art. So you might have people who like your work or don't like your work or just neutral about it. <laughs> but I think DeviantArt is good for uh, getting to meet other artists and then getting to learn other people's styles and what's um, what's in the like popular culture and like what's in the popular contemporary culture and knowing what other artists are doing because it's so kept up with uh, the internet life. Did you know any of the Fresh Chef Ethics members before meeting up as a group, like via DeviantArt? Mm, no, actually not really. <laughs> I read their work. I was, I was actually fans uh, with uh, Romantic the Apocalyptic and uh, Human. And uh, while I was fans with them, I didn't even know that I was in Fresh Epics. So until we started like uh, collaborating, uh, my first collaboration was with Romantically Apocalyptic, um, and that's actually when I started to get an idea that we were actually working with each other. <laughs> uh, final question then: Where do you want to go with uh, Stupid Fox? Where do you want to go with Comic Man? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm just seeing what happens. <laughs> Somewhere nice then. Yes. I actually, I just want to entertain. I love like entertaining with Stuart Fox. I know everyone says he's a very cute character and that's, that's satisfying in itself. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. And technical difficulties. And that, oh, I think we were really engrossed in conversation. We didn't notice it finishing. So professionalism, not technical difficulties. Sorry, we were talking about one of DC's recent announcements. Uh, yes. And her name on DeviantArt is Silent Reaper. Oh, yes. Sorry, it sounded similar, Dark Spectre. Also, I, for anyone following along Power Rangers in Space, that's where I got bloody Power Dark Spectre from. Uh, Power Rangers in Space. Don't ask. Yeah, Dark don't Spectre ask. was a great character. And In Space was like the best Power Rangers series of them all. Seriously.
Oh, uh, oh yeah. After this, we'll be talking about some steampunk stuff and having another instalment into our great radio play, Harry Meets Jeff Banyard and Talks About Random Wazzy Stuff for an elongated periods of time. We're thinking of changing the title. We'll change the title to Harry Stalks Jeff Banyard. Yes. <laughs> At first, it was me asking him for interviews. Now he's like, hey, do you want to do one? Uh, sure, why not? And then we like go out. It's like his lunch break. It was really... It's so stupidly just, fun. Just, just, just the face, Harry. Just, just the face. All right. Hello, I'm Professor Elemental, and whenever I'm not riding a badger around my grounds or hitting my monkey butler with a stick, I'm listening to The Geek Show, and my God, I love it. Back on The Geek Show. God, don't you know formulas? <laughs> no. Like I haven't done any maths. It's like maths. I haven't done any physics. It's maths and everything. Or chemistry. But yeah, as you may have noticed, we're talking about steampunk. You may not have noticed. I could just have that really odd look. What, my? Yeah. Nice. Oh, your duck face look. Uh, but yeah, it's the... Uh, steampunk has had a presence at the MCM Expo for quite a while now. You can usually find Major Tinker and various other people from... Uh, the, uh, the Victoria Steampunk Society at their table. Uh, their table is like several tables long and then it's got a backdrop behind it, a big wall, and it's just full of steampunky things. There's like blunderbusses with Nikola Tesla twists on them and dirigible models and cross-sections and the Steampunk Literary Review by Jeff Banyard. Uh, one-third which, which is a Steampunk Literary Review. The rest is, of it, it, is it up to one-third now? It's, or is it still no, like... It's, it's like a third. The rest of it is bilge. The, the, the third is like, there's a third of a page of actual books which it's reviewing. Which That's in- less than one third then, considering how many pages are in the literary review. Oh, sorry, yeah, a third of a page. It's <laughs> so, not like it. It's a small percentage. It's, it's got like... But Tab did make it into the literary review. Tab made review. it in with the Chaotic Emporium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good for him. Uh, but yeah, the steampunks are there, and basically they're there to try and raise awareness of the genre, because like, steampunks, it thrives on its community. So it, it so there's nothing anything to buy there or to pay for. You just go up and then talk to them, and you can engage in activities and have tea dueling and you know, just chat with people and learn more about the topic. Which it, it's a great fun thing, and their stall is always gorgeous because it's just covered in random stuff. What did you call it, Rob? You mentioned it as gadgets, doodads. right? Models, gadgets, doodads, and whatnots. Basically, a lot of flashy. Maybe a widget. <laughs> Maybe widgets. Lots of tea. Loads of tea. Gratuitous amounts of tea. Widget. It's got a widget. Widget. A lovely widget. There's some steampunk around the expo as well with different dealers. Tab sells lots of steampunk accessories as well as goggles, as well as T-shirts, a My Little Pony, and super, super gay webcomics. And, yeah, he's got an interesting table. He gave me a ring bow for free. A what? It, it's a ring bow. It's a little ring, like a finger ring, and it's just got a rainbow design on it. Me and Robin saw it. And challenged Harry to make a small pair of glasses out of two ringbows. Yeah, I, I then bought two from him and he was like, this must happen. So my challenge by the next convention I see him at, which I think will be Nima, uh, NemaCon in Middlesbrough at the end of this month, will be to make a small pair of pince-nez out of two ringbows. Fabulous pince-nez. Fabulous. Yep. Why are uh, the pipe cleaners? <laughs> There's, there's also Jeff Banyard. Because they come in multicolors, don't they? Jeff Banyard is there. The difficulty with this interview with Jeff Banyard is that he doesn't have anything really new. Well, he has one new issue of Fetish Man, but we can't really talk about that on the radio. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's the manly issue. <laughs> Given by the title. Yeah. Well, no, it's usually very it's usually very benign, except that, you know, it's more the the context of this issue. This is kind of crazy. So, uh, so mainly, we burst, mainly we sing, because he's recently been working on doing sea shanties that are steampunk. I, I, I just want to ask one quick question, because you mentioned to me outside that there was uh, various gizmos oh, yeah. that they were making. What sort? 
Well, like I said, there was a blunderbuss, uh, non-functioning. Yeah. Uh, several other artillery weapons, non-functioning, totally. Artillery weapons. Yeah. Let's just focus on that for a second. What? Steampunk artillery weapons. Yeah. You need some kind of green laser sight. Artillery. Why not? As in long-range explosives and stuff. Totally not functional ones. Yeah, and totally not functional ones, obviously. Well, basically, to make something steampunk, you just need to give it... You need to be made out of brass or copper-type things. A green light is usually good because it's very Tesla. But it needs a personality. It needs to look like a thing. You can't just glue some gears on it, as the song does say. Or like uh, Panic! at the Disco did do with their song, The Ballad of Mona Lisa. That's not steampunk. That, that's retro fetishism. It's nothing else. Uh, and loads of various things. Basically, it was just very gold and bronze. It's a very gold and bronze place, the steampunk stand. Okay, right. Also, you can list for the first tea company while you were there. Uh, or they'd point towards Jeff, who would be able to do it. Basically, if you joined the first Speaking of company, which... <laughs> yeah, speaking of which, it's almost like I've planned it. Yes. Uh, we have an interview with Jeff Barnier. The full this interview, is take as four, you, isn't it? <laughs> take four. The, the first... The interview, as usual, is about 40 minutes long. <laughs> but I've cut it down to five for the sake of the radio. That's a lot of cutting. Also, as usual, you'll have noticed that we have to keep censoring Jeff in different ways because he swears like a Rudy. So basically, last time we made it into music, this time I tried to find other words from within the interview to replace <laughs> the swear words. Uh, with. What you should have done, you should. Uh, have you seen the Family Guy uh, Almost Live show? Where they've got uh, Seth MacFarlane and Alex Borstein uh, and a big band playing in the background, and they just do all sorts of sketches and songs in front of an audience. Yeah. It's not actually Family Guy. And one of the things they did was uh, to promote the Cleveland show, they turned all the swear words in, into just saying Cleveland. Ah. So the bleep was just Cleveland. See, if you'd done it as the Geek Show, every time he said it, that would have been hilarious. To be fair, I think it's funny. It's just taking like, random words from the interview, like Phil. Um, last time, well, a while ago, when you guys interviewed Jeff, mm. he replaced the dot in his website name with a rude word and so phil had to use the last time he said dot and like cut and paste it in (laughs) and it sounded weird it it, it's always really good fun interviewing jeff this is the fourth time i've done it you can see it's interesting otherwise i wouldn't be doing it this much yes anyway but yeah this is the interview uh there is a swear in it which is edited out try and find the word and then guess in the chat stream we'll not read it out if you are correct uh, so yeah, this is my interview with Jeff Banyard, a small snippet. The full one will be available from the website later for download. Oh, we were going to talk about sea shanties. Do you want to talk about sea shanties? I can definitely talk about sea shanties. I have a horrible cold. I'll go into my kind of more than Freeman voice. If we go into I am more than Freeman. Um, it's more that I have a strange... I've almost, I've almost figured out how Zeppelin... Basically, you can use a lot of Zeppelin sh- uh, sea shanties as Zeppelin shanties. Mm-hmm. I'm very taken with the idea of... Uh, my mate last got RJ is also taken with the idea as well. Done a new picture. I did it, it's, it's for the cover of the Steampunk magazine number eight. And it's just in that sort of style of old mm-hmm. warships, but, but two massive Zeppelins. One of which has a giant needle underneath it. Um, oh, I've seen that yeah. cover. It's a really good cover. Thanks. I, I was really pleased with the fact I managed to get it. It's just a, it looks like a Zeppelin with people escaping from it on the front. And then you, if you open it up to the back, that's a giant needle. Um, but no, I like the idea of, of hybridising the sort of the, the Zeppelin-y thing. Um, I will, yeah. I'm actually probably going to find time to do make the comic. It's going to be great. Tell me things you want to do and finding the time to make them. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, that's the thing, Which, the idea is that going to conventions and stuff, you like build up a reserve of money by doing that and then go, now I make new stuff, and then I sell the stuff. And well, hopefully, actually, if they buy it, then it works. But then also, partly finding out if people are interested in, in 
this, the stuff you're doing. Mm. You know, it's lovely going, I really want to make a comic about a badger that falls in love with an electricity pylon. There's an electricity pylon over there. I just named the first thing I saw. <laughs> Except the badger. Badgers are just cool. Um, Patent pending, Jeff Banyard, that story. Badger loves electricity pylon. And that's like 2012. <laughs> so I do that for the next three comic book day. I, I did promise I'd do Penguin with a rocket pack, which is also... Uh, nice. Me and Steve are going to knock out some. Well, the badger having a love affair with an electricity pylon couldn't be like, in the background somewhere. I love you, electricity pylon. <laughs> and now a moment for badger and electricity pylon. <laughs> um, and back to the penguin. Um, and back to the zeppelins. Um, no, but I like that the sort of um, that that uh, the old age of of of, of sail mm. and the level at which humans were just machines. They're flesh machines, and they were treated so much oh, so hideously. Sea shanties really reflect that. Mm-hmm. Some of them are just really perky mm-hmm. in that way that you no one writes a song this perky unless they're trying to distract themselves from the present. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the terminal and things. But anyway, the sea shanties are... Um, most of them you can, don't need to change over, because it's just generally about how life... Giant needle. Man! And, and, and about how there's ladies at the next port. And you just swap some things around. Um, like, you know, as opposed to off round, round Cape Horn we go, you go round Ben Nevis. Uh, other landlocked features. <laughs> um, but no, there's one called Santiana, which I'm, I'm quite pleased with, which turns around. Um, which you just you just rename, change a couple of words, and it's it's an answer response. So, um, oh shellbacks, have you heard the news? Heave away, Andy Hines. General Taylor took new 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 Vera Cruz all on the sea of solitude. The structure of it basically works by um, so you swap out the words you want and keep the ones you want. Um, so and it's, it's, it's Santiana is the name. You can swap it for Andy Hines. I like that. It works well. Um, the chorus being, heave away, Andy Hines. Um, and then the last verse, all on the sea of solitude, um, which I like the idea of there being zeppelins on the moon. So clearly, uh, no, the physics of it doesn't work, which is why I enjoy it. I know the physics, and f***ing with the physics is brilliant. Um, no, but you could, it's just an answer response. You can keep wedging. Oh, Andy Hines had a wooden leg. Heave away, Andy Hines. He used it once to climb Ben Nevis all on the sea of solitude. Oh, Andy Hines is made mostly of cheese. Heave away, Andy Hines, except for his elbows and his knees. All on the sea of solitude. Um, you can find one rhyme, you can do whatever you want. Pretty much. I like it. Um, though, actually, the, the, the one I like the one I like more is, Oh, Andy Hines sees the day. Heave away, Andy Hines. He drove those marsh irons away. All on the sea of solitude. It's, it's taking the, the old English, like, randomly extending words in a, in a slightly stupid way. Uh, and then reapplying it. I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying that as a really a nice zeppelining shanty. Hmm. The thing is, the life of the life of the life in the Royal Navy mm-hmm. um, a couple of hundred years ago was horrid. Yes. There, well, not so much horrid, but death was a regular feature. Mm-hmm. And I like the idea of the zeppelin era, of the zeppelins being like it. I think there's a level which dying yeah. It's that, that thing when people come to the store and say, "Oh, you wish to live in the Victorian era?" Because the answer is, "No, I'd be dead." I wish the Victorian era lived here. 
<laughs> like bits of it came through and we We've got, got to pick and choose. Well, that's what steampunk is. Exactly. Choosing the bits you like. Anyway. Right. Let's go and get... Badger Stampede. We have to evacuate. No! Hey, this is Veronica Taylor. And I'm Ash Ketchum. Geek Show. I choose you! Now we're moving into the gaming section because there's loads of game booths as usual on our MCM Expo. There's little lollipop chainsaw was there and Dragon's Dogma. I really wanted to talk to Dragon's Dogma guys, but it was one of those left booths. Yeah. Just really securely fastened by Xboxes and PS3s just so you can play it. Um, some friends of mine are playing Dragon's Dogma now, though. Apparently it's awesome. But I did get to play Aliens, Colonial Marines, which is actually really good. Mm. Uh, me and Momo got to play it and you get a real sense of terror. It's very functional. It's a scanner. It's the doo 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 it's the perfect fear thing that films do correctly of you can see them on the scanner you can't see them when you look because they, just, they always pop out the ceiling it's always yeah. the ceiling they're on the ceiling or they're on the wall or they're on the floor or they're in your face and so we're basically in your got, face oh, always in your face we got so lucky we got to meet Brian Brolson who is the producer of Aliens Community Marines from Gearbox Studios uh, Gearbox Software Gearbox and Gearbox. 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 Uh, and he was actually a really nice, chatty guy. Uh, we, we would, we'd talk for half an hour. Uh, we don't do half an hour now, because that would be to the end of the show. But it will be available for later from download. So I've edited down to a ten-minute section here, which can give you the brief on what's happening in the Alien Colonial Marines. And it's actually going to be faster than E3 if I haven't shown it yet. Because like, E3's on right now. That's where most of our listeners are. <laughs> <laughs> no, they aren't, actually. We know, actually, yeah, we and, do have some guys. like, half the people in the stream are just go, oh, God, E3, and gone. God damn, I'm foolish. Uh, but, yeah, this is Brian Brolson from... And me and Momo interviewing him. If one of us sounds like a black man, that's me with a very, very deep-voiced cold. I'm sorry. Yeah! Basically, <laughs> I do go a bit we'll, baritone. We'll, we'll move on from that and go into the interview. Yeah, so here's the interview with Brian Brolson. He's an awesome chinga chap, and because of him, I'm really looking forward to Aliens Colonial Marines. Hi, uh, I'm Brian Brolson. I'm the uh, producer on Aliens Colonial Marines. Uh, we've just played some of the sample of the team deathmatch mode. Uh, it, it really comes across a great atmosphere of terror playing against the aliens because they can tear through people. Uh, was there the difficulties balancing? Uh, the combat between the Marines and the aliens. Oh, yeah. We're still working on the balance for sure. But one of the uh, the fun parts that you know when you play as Marines, and I'm sure you might yeah. might, might echo this, is it's terrifying because Xenos can actually really kill you really quickly. And if you're not working well together, you kind of feel this sense of yeah, you're overwhelmed. Like you're you're never safe, and that's like kind of the feel you want to you want to you want to make sure people feel that. But from a combat you know balance perspective. We want to make sure that the Marines, when they are, you know, working together and when they actually have a, a strategy in mind, they're going to be very, 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 very powerful against the Xenos because the Xenos have no uh, range, no real range combat, and so that really makes a huge difference with like being able to like understand your environment and understand, um, you know, what's what, what strategy you want to have. That's actually that's kind of an interesting um, point that I haven't really brought up is when you're you're playing multiplayer you, as a Marine. Your environment, how you understand where you're at, makes a huge difference. Because you're, if you're in a hallway and there's not many places where Xenos can come in from, you're going to actually have like you can you can kind of understand where uh, you know you need to be pointing your gun or where you need to be moving, um, or in a room and if it's completely full of holes, you know where Xenos could just come at any angle. You're not going to feel safe, right? And so you know you need to be aware of your environment. You need to be aware of where there's like this points of possibilities and the combat can come from. That feeling and, uh, was definitely there playing where they're going to come from and the fact that they can 
like in the movies who run around on the ceilings really adds to the confusion if you don't just watch the floor which you do in most shooters you have to be watching all of the walls the floors the ceiling exactly. everywhere you can't just point your gun straight down yeah. the hallway and live yeah. Oh, yeah. It was very reminiscent of the first Aliens film in that respect because the deaths are very sudden and very dramatic. And that came across in the game. That was very well put over. It's, oh, yeah. it's just what everything's fine and then suddenly yeah. someone's dead and then you're dead and then everyone's dead. Yeah. Either you got lucky seeing one go out in the open and then you shoot hell out of it or just immediately, boom, dead immediately. Exactly. Like, the Queen could just ram through people. No, it's that was actually the crusher. Is oh, it? The okay. Yeah. It looks. We have a number of different uh, xenotypes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Currently, we've shown the uh, the, na- the standard soldier, yeah. the lurker, and the crusher. Okay. And so uh, there's there's definitely more in there. Uh, in the future, we'll be showing some more off. But we don't want. There's some xenos that we want spoiled yeah, for the rest of the course. game. Oh, yeah. Uh, cool. But they, you know, they when we were making the xenos, uh, you know, for. Uh, just when we were making the genes generally, uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, they're consistent with the canon. Yeah. And so they actually yeah. have a purpose in, in the story and in like the high bar uh, hierarchy. Yeah. And they're not just like random genes. So when you see when you play them in the game, they can still fill the roles that they're supposed to fill as a high. So if you think like those types of xenos, you know that's kind of what you want to you know, do. Uh, the crusher and the, the, the high hierarchy is an interesting one. And so uh, you can imagine he, he's very useful for uh, you know. Heavy tasks and, and, and uh, you know making way for things and not you know, necessarily just yeah. going out there and hiding because he's not going to hide anywhere, right? Oh yeah. So yeah, he's a very specific role. Yeah, but you know, in combat, what you want to want to make sure you, you, uh, people have fun doing is um, different types. Uh, you know, they have different strengths. You can you can, you can you know, change bits and pieces of them. There is a customization okay. stuff that you, can, you know we're planning on that. We're still working on it, but. Will that be through the two currency systems that seem to be in play? There seems to be an XP and actual money yeah, there's a, uh, involved. There's a couple of different, like we're still working on the metagame okay. elements of it, but uh, you know, there's a, a system of like unlocks you can get through challenges, and also there's a currency that we're, you know you can use to, to, to buy certain things, okay. and to unlock certain things. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that stuff is still involved. Yeah. Right? What we're about? about what can you tell us about the single player? aspect of the game. There's a story, I, I've read bits of it, but do you want to tell us oh, yeah. about the story? So the uh, the game takes place after, uh, chronologically after Alien 3, uh, but it's, you know, we consider it the, 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 uh, the sequel to Aliens, because that's really, you know, the, what type of game we're trying to make here is, you know, you know, lots of guns, lots of Xenos, but also lots of terror, lots of fear, lots of, you know, oh god, where are they coming from? And, um, you know, the story takes place, you know, 17 weeks after. And it is uh, your group of Marines on the Sephora, and you got a distress signal, and so you go investigate it, and you come upon the Sulaco, which is reported missing. Like, it, it was not, like, if it's going to be someplace, it shouldn't be over LV-426, but it is. And so you don't really understand why that's the case. And uh, when you know, they start waking up you know, the, the Marines from hypersleep, or hypersleep they find uh, uh, this curiosity, they go into the ship, think of things are, you know, you know, it's a recon, you know, figure out what's going on. And, you know, go, things go really badly really quickly for that first spot of Marines. And so, you know, alarms down, all the rest of the Marines are woken up. And, you know, you're part of the, uh, one of the later uh, groups that was woken up. And so when you board the Sulaco, a lot of stuff has already happened, or is happening. And you need to figure out what's going on. You need to actually go in there and help it, you know, help the effort on the Sulaco. But also, you have to discover why it's there. And why there's Xenos on it, because that's kind of a, like, 
that's that's something you, you wouldn't expect um, for sure. And that's they didn't expect that either, because you know in the, the, the chronology of this, the Marines still don't understand that Xenos exist, and so they're walking on this completely blind. They had no idea what was, uh, what was there. But it's hinted at in the films that that's what happened. That the Xenos took over the Sulaco sort of thing going on. Yeah. So yeah. obviously you're picking up from there. Yeah. There's in, there's some interesting like at, 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 at the beginning of Alien Three. You know, there's a uh, you know the prior yeah. chambers and the you know, Newton Ripley and you know yeah. they get ejected and um, there's a there's an egg something happens yeah. and for some reason it feeds like why how did acid blood get out something just comes out of it yeah know, was it the glass that broke it cut you know but it doesn't it doesn't explain a lot it's really it's an interesting question so we yeah. kind of you know there's there's something there there's a reason why that happened and okay there, so that's what you're going to hopefully explain yeah you 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 It'll make a lot more sense. Now, the game, as you've already said, takes place on the Sulaco. Yeah. So, how does you well? Yeah. Are we going to see more environments? How did it's a ship? So, obviously, is there much room for different environments? What sort of things did you come across there to make it a varied environment gameplay and areas you're playing in? Well, it actually uh, happens on um, it's the Sulaco LB426. Okay. The so surface we, of the planet. We will get to And then that. you know you, you might see some things about you know giant ship of some sort. Um, okay. And uh, you know, it's really um, the planet's very different than what you left it as. You know, Halley's Hope. You know, there's atmosphere crosses are blue, and that you know that that explosion completely destroyed so much around it. But you know, a lot of the processor was underground. You know, using geothermal and all that stuff. So the explosion, when it blew up, it not only blew up you know a lot of the surface, uh, but it also destabilized the planet a lot. It was already destabilized to begin with, yeah. and their you know, atmospheric processing isn't the most kind thing you can do to a planet. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, de it's destabilized, uh, and so it's even worse off with it. Okay. But, like, the colony itself is a very rugged colony. That was, when that was put down there, you know, the Shaken Bay colony, um, it needed to survive a very harsh landscape, and, uh, you know, the explosion didn't destroy all of it, but it certainly did a whole lot of damage. So when you get back into uh, Hadley's Hope, you know, you're going to see a lot of familiar places. You're going to see the things you saw from the movie, uh, okay. but they're going to be very twisted and very different. And uh, so you get a sense of familiarity, but something completely alien. And there's still Xenos there, and um, it's kind of interesting to think what happens to Xenos after there's you know, like there's no hosts left, and there's yeah. no queen left, and you know what's what's that about? Do you explain through the story? Because it's sort of hinted at again in the films that the Xenos develop their hive based off what they host as. So the Crusher, is that from some sort of animal? Or? Well, there's two parts of it. Um, you know, there's there's certainly a hint of, of how the DNA works and how that affects what what yeah. what, what, what type of uh, or what what characteristics a, a Xeno might have. Uh, but uh, on the other side of things, there's also a hive, and the hive has a has a purpose. And so the hive itself. Really, really makes a big difference on um, uh, you know when you see the, some types of different xenos. Like, okay. kind of have to think both ways. Like, there's yeah. going to be like, what's its purpose? Like, what, what characteristics got, and then what's its purpose in the whole hierarchy? Because there's a, there's a there's a there's reason. There's there's yeah. You know, when you see you know, the film that's coming out, and you see you get to play the game. Okay. You kind of you get to piece together how it kind of works. Okay. Um, and it's kind of you know, we don't. We don't do midichlorians or anything like that. That's yeah. kind of silly. <laughs> there, there's some mystery to it because you know it's so alien, it's so foreign to what we understand. 
we can't really comprehend it, but we can sort of rationalize bits and pieces. We're going to see uh, a lot of things that are familiar, but at the same time, completely different. And there's a lot that happens in this universe, and there's a lot going on. And you know, what's Wally Tani up to? Like, what, what is the company trying to trying to trying to accomplish? You know, why is the uh, the, the Slaco over LB426? Like, you're you're going into this, you know, and as a marine, you know, you're you're a badass, but you're not prepared, right? And uh, learning how to be prepared, and you know, getting to know the other characters and other pe people in your squad. Um, the narrative is very, you know, that's one of the things we want to really carry across is a very strong narrative. So we're not just, you know, first person shooter, but we're also part of this franchise. We're part of this this legacy of of, of aliens uh, uh, films and, and, and games. It's coming out um, February 13th on the, uh, the, the uh, PC, the uh, Xbox, the PS3, and the Wii U. And so, oh wow, Wii U as well. Very nice. I'm Christopher Sabat, the voice of Vegeta, Piccolo, Yamcha, and a few others on Dragon Ball Z. And the Geek Show is over 9,000! Welcome back to the Geek Show, because here, Khan is always above Bieber in the charts. We have come back with our MCM special, and we are about to play you our interview with Raphael Sabage, which is an awesome name, for starters. Uh, he is the actor and voice actor from many things. He was in Legend of Ang, I believe, actually, among other things. Uh, yeah, uh, the 30th episode, I believe? Yes, 30th Season episode. Season one. Guest uh, starring as... He was uh, some kind of archaeologist type thing. Zay. Uh, Professor Zay. Professor Zay. From the library episode where they Professor? went searching for information on the Fire Nation. Yes. He was in Mass Effect 3 as a romanceable option as... Kaiden Alenko. Kaiden Alenko. Yes. And he was here plugging the thing he's currently in, which is Once Upon a Time. Uh, which is a series which has a really bold premise, which is really interesting. It's basically all fairy tales. All of them are true. And they weave together a universe where they all interlink and people know each other. And it's like the genie is also the man in the magic mirror. Yeah. And they have like interlocking weavings. But the Wicked Queen has come up with a clever curse, which is she, she hates losing. She's sick of losing. She creates a curse which wipes everyone, all the heroes' memories... And she flings them into another world, which is our world. And so what happens is all the characters, they kind of reestablish themselves in new human lives. But they all have remnants of who they were and their own personalities in it. For example, the character he plays, Dr. Hopper, uh, was Jiminy Cricket in um, the fantasy world. Mm. So over in our world, Jiminy Cricket has become a therapist. Which makes perfect sense. Tell me but, about your problems. Yeah. A conscience <laughs> becomes someone who helps guide people. Yes. And it makes so much sense. Uh, and it's a very charming, very witty uh, series. And it's just kind of, it's got this great element of hope to it. Uh, so I, I'd say check it out, definitely. He's also in various other things if you check out his Wikipedia. Uh, and he talks here about Mass Effect and about uh, Once Upon a Time very frequently. Any questions from Rob? Because you've got your hand. I just want to clarify something uh, for Jacob Afro guy. E3 is the Electronic Entertainment Expo held at uh, the Los Angeles Convention Center. Uh, I, every year. I and we are amazed that you didn't know this. I think he was trolling, Rob. Yeah, I really, personally, we really do. Yeah, it's... Yeah, mm, everyone knows. knows. Everyone it's all knows over everything. Too. If he wasn't trolling, I apologize no, for massively not, insulting your intelligence. It's but, you know, all it's, over everything. It wasn't over my brand flex this morning. That's because you're old. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on from your brand flex and 
assumable bowel issues. We have Actually, the interview. No, I don't have. No, any we're not going there. No, 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 no. We're just leaving this now. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on to the interview, the roundtable interview with Raphael Savage. It has to be said like that. Um, in terms of when you audition or when you're just reading the script, how did you approach it? In terms of yeah, it's an awesome question. Taking because this character. Right, right. So I mean, from the script, no idea what to do with it. Right. Uh, well, it was one scene. That, it was a scene in the pilot where essentially I meet the young boy, Henry, on the street. Um, and uh, they didn't have any actual sort of Jiminy Cricket stuff. But I, I had asked, at least before I went in, did you want a voice match? Do you want some sort of impersonation or some kind of a... Is there, is, is there something you're looking for? And, and what they came back was, no, we just want something very real. And, and again, I think that's what they've done, is keep, keep it real. I mean, I, the, the, the easiest sort of way in which sort of I've been able to identify the show is, um, to people who haven't seen it, is uh, Wicked, for example, the book, or the musical, which I saw again recently on a tour, the 100th national tour, I guess. I saw it years ago, but saw it again. And it was a, just beautifully done. And... Uh, and the way we, they took Wizard of Oz and then essentially reinvented it and gave these, again, these characters that we know and love, gave them all sorts of other stories that kind of tied it together. And you can't go back to the Wizard of Oz and not somehow then think about that. That's similar to what they're trying to do um, with Once Upon a Time. And um, clearly they're doing something right. Um, it's, I mean, it's the highest rated new show in America. Um, we've been picked up for the second season. Um, and they're seem to be the numbers of, I think it's the highest rated show in the time slot in 23 years or something like that. So they're, they're, they're really, they've struck some sort of wonderful chord, and uh, I'm really grateful to be When I first heard about Jim and the Cricket releasing the concept of the show, you know, even my elevator pitch at this point is pretty lousy in terms of, well, there's this, you know, dual universe, and there's these characters from Disney, Snow White, and Evil Queen, and they kind of go back and forth. And it, you know, it seems... <laughs> even as I say it, sort of somewhat uh, um, uh, dangerous territory, let's just say, in terms of storytelling. And um, what I want to, what I, what I have found to be quite remarkable about what they've done is that this, they've been very smart about the stories. And I think you're around episode nine here. I don't know, but that's what someone told me. But but what they've been able to do through the arc of the of the season is kind of create stories that seem to sort of really be. Um, integrating these characters, these iconic characters, and yet also sort of being sort of a, telling them in a, in a smart new way. As far as Jiminy Cricket, your specific question, I, I would say is that um, uh, he's, <laughs> at times it felt like big shoes to step into. They had the episode, I guess it's there now, of, of the backstory on how Jiminy Cricket came to be. In, in that episode, um, you know, I, I, you have to sort of take a deep breath and pull your pants up, essentially, and tighten your belt before you walk on the set the first day. Kind of go, okay, um, here we go, because we're start. And then afterwards, the, the, of course, the funny or bizarre thing is that people would come up and say things along the lines of, um, gosh, I never knew that that was Jiminy Cricket's backstory. <laughs> of course, they've made the whole thing up, but, but it seems so sort of, uh, you know, they, they've been able to seem to somehow sort of strike a chord with people that knew that knew these characters or know these characters and maybe some, many that don't, like young, my children, for example, who haven't necessarily grown up with them, but have been able to sort of be smart enough to kind of corral those two together in a way and kind of create something new that's sort of iconic and, and, and still smart. Um, I, I think in lesser hands, this could have been quite the, <laughs> quite the Hindenburg, I think. <laughs> we'll talk about Mass Effect. Okay. Um, 
Are you doing some additional dialogue, the extended I am. edition? What, what was your reaction? You know, when the um, when the fan outrage came out about the ending, what did you think? Like, did you did you expect it when you recorded it? You know, I I had some I had some mixed feelings about what they had sort of perhaps set in motion with all of us kind of going going down. It's a dangerous um, precedent that they've set by changing it. Would you say? By changing it. By by adding more, would you say that they've kind of by going caved to, in? by by trying to go add some stuff to it now? Mm. I don't. I don't know if I would. S- I mean, look. Uh, clearly, they're trying to respond to the fans, right? So, I mean, I'm. I'm out of it. I'm. I'm. A, I'm the guy that comes in and stands in front of a microphone, right? Um, and I. Uh, I know it's become a huge thing, and. Um, and. And I'm somewhat wary to sort of step into the politics of it because I've been forwarded so many freaking emails about you know what people think from an existential sort of you know sociological sociopolitical point of view as to what this means I, I am um, what I'm amazed about is the sort of the passion and the vigor of the Mass Effect fans um, and and I you know over the holidays that's um, the American Thanksgiving I put out this recording of a letter from Mass Effect 2 yeah. right so I did it sort of on a Sort of like, a, hey, let's let's do this. Some fans had asked, would you would you record this letter? And and I put the letter out. And um, we, I did it on a weekend. I did it sort of, you know, very much on the down low. I didn't ask Bioware's permission per se, but I thought, well, heck, I'm just putting it out there. I'm not asking for anything. I'm just going to put it out for the fans. They'd asked for it, so it went berserkers uh, and and viral. And um, in addition to that, the thing that was so sort of that knocked me out were not only the responses, but then. People had found out, the fans had found out that I'd started a, a green non-profit, and then people started sending money from Poland and Germany and Canada and Australia to sort of to support the non as a sort of a thank you. All the money went to charity. But but it was, uh, what I was so knocked out about was the kind of the passion of the Mass Effect fans. Um, and so uh, am I surprised that there was a passionate response after what I had over Thanksgiving? I'd say, no, that seems about right, yeah. Um, I... The the hard I I don't know if, I mean I imagine from Bioware's point of view that they they were uh, you know trying to figure out the best way to kind of encapsulate it. Um, uh, at the end of the day, clearly um, they struck a nerve. Well, I liked it. What's that? I liked it. You like you like the ending? Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was Isn't it sort of a Romeo and Juliet kind of an ending in a way? It was kind of one that you you start the game and you could. You could see it coming, yeah. and it was just—it it was most, it was basically like the journey, and it just culminated in that. Not a big boss fight, just a nice kind of resolution. Yeah. And I just think a lot of people were very, obviously, so passionate. Like one of my friends was like, "And there's so much speculation about the ending. Like they haven't tied it up completely." I was like, "Well, what's wrong with that?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I. The responses, the the, the 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 involvement with these with these characters is is really intense, yeah. and um, so I, I, it's probably along the lines of finding out that a family member died. I mean, I think it has. I think it sort of engendered that kind of response. You know, fairy tales have been part of our culture for hundreds, thousands of years. What do you think it is that continually fascinates us about these particular stories, these particular characters? You know, there's something about what they've done with these stories where, okay, it's going to sound corny when I say this, but there's some sort of element of hope in, yeah. in these stories. And goodness knows, we need a little bit of that these days. And, um, and then in addition to that, it seems that they've been able to uh, create kind of a uh, hero's journey 
for each character, um, which is sort of interesting. I mean, even for the sort of the evil queen and the Rumpelstiltskin evil characters, they've been able to sort of forge a, a, a way in which you feel somehow that you identify with them or that you feel like, well, there's a good person in there somewhere or they're trying to do the right thing, maybe they're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, but, but that you still somehow connect to that, that hero's journey. And I think somehow that's kept people engaged. Um, uh, and again, I just keep going back to that it's smart. But as far as fairy tales are concerned, I mean, I, I think um, I think it was a conscious effort also by ABC, I've been told anyway, to understand, to begin to sort of, I, th I was told, I think this is fascinating, that they had a, a, co a consultant uh, work with uh, the heads of ABC and the studios talking about kind of the kinds of genres that really speak to, um, um, as it were, the masses when, uh, when you're in the midst of a crisis, financial crisis as we are, etc. I think they went back and did sort of, a, sort of an overview from the Depression, from you know, uh, post-World War, you know, two, and, and through, they were able to map, essentially, the various kinds of things. So the horror genre and then other mm -hmm. kinds of fantasy genres have often been an antidote for, um, for tough times. Um, well, we um, just have one last question, if that's right. Uh, taking the different characters in Mass Effect and Once Upon a Time and making them fit you and making them yours, uh, was it very different doing the two different things? Because with um, Once Upon a Time you had Jimmy Cricket existing in other places already. There was Pinocchio and Disney. Did you go back and look at those things and see how it could become new, or did you try and go straight from what you had? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I mean, uh, uh, for me as an actor, I, I tend to kind of work from what uh, what's sort of... I always feel, I mean, I, I, I teach as well, but, but I, I always encourage people to come from what you already have, what you already know. This is my campus. My, you know, my my experience is kind of a, a strong place. They cast me clearly because they they felt like there was a quality that they saw that identified themselves with Jimmy Cricket. Did I watch the movies? Yes. Did I go back into research? Absolutely. Did I sort of go and sort of explore kind of what the you know from the Italian story to then the first screenplay and sort of how the, how this Jimmy Cricket character evolved? Of course. Uh, but at the end of the day, I have to walk in and do it. So I always sort of feel like I want to sort of find that place, that chord that where I can make it true. Um, uh, the funny thing is that Jiminy Cricket being sort of a, I mean, this is someone pointed this out to me, but, but that Jiminy Cricket is sort of a character of conscience, obviously, um, and, and, you know, the conscience of God, et cetera, and that Caden, for, for, for whatever you might say, is a, is a, is a man of, man of action, but also, um, someone who has great conscience as well. So, there seems to be sort of a crossover there. I don't entirely understand it, <laughs> but there you have it. Um, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it's lovely talking to you. Thank you. Welcome back. Uh, there is a fuller version of that interview that will be going up online, along with this episode, later on from thegeekshow.co.uk. Uh, we're in the announcement section, and we run it really close because I interviewed so many people. We don't even have them all here. There is actually another guy, the lead actor from Grimm, uh, Mr. Guntoli, I believe he's David Guntoli. David Guntoli. Uh, he has an interview as well, but we couldn't feature it because we just have so much stuff. Uh, and that will be available as well from the download of this episode, along with links to the news stuff uh, via thegeekshow.co.uk. Announcements we have going. Uh, the Escapist Expo has been announced a while ago. Have to keep plugging it and remind people because it looks awesome. If you're in America 
and you don't go, I will envy you so hard, I will try to kill you with psychic waves. Because I just, I want to, I really want to go to the expo. <laughs> They've got Miracle of Sound doing a live concert. And I like, just had uh, visions of psychic powers being discovered. And like, purely I just, I just, ha- purely through my envy. Yeah. I just had images of Harry sending people telepathic images of him just going, what, waving, waving at people. Mm. You stare at me. Psychic waves. Or you'd psychic, oh, psychic wave, waving. Oh. Or you'd become like a psychic alarm clock, and you'd wake them up at seven a.m. Like, <laughs> why aren't you at the expo? It's oh lo- God, no, no, it's, it was like a carry. It's loading ready, run and stuff. Uh, you yes. do know there's an anime called Sci-Fi Harry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh my head! What? Uh, yeah, weird. Anyway, announcements. Our friend Davy Shirley from uh, the uh, artist not of Ferra, a tale of monsters, a tale of beasts, is doing an Indiegogo soon. Uh, we'll link you up when it happens for his comic, The Editors, which is a very meta comic about what if resets and re- reboots and retcons actually occurred as a thing done by uh, in, in the comic characters. What if it was a thing regulated by the heroes themselves? Uh, you can check out a full description of him talking about it at our SunnyCon special, available from the Geisha UK. And finally, I will be hosting a comedy evening at the basement in Middlesbrough on Friday. Arrive at 7.30. It'll be cool. We'll leave you out on this. Thank you very much for listening in. We'll hope you'll be less tired and in full force next week. We'll see you then. Yes. Bye-bye. For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac.